get there. And I'll try to uh, kind of guide you along the way. Exodus is the second um, book of the Bible. And this weekend, you're going to hear me talk a lot about Torah, a word that might not be very familiar to some of you. Um, but in the last five, six years, I've been doing a lot of Hebrew studying. And I think you're going to find that in going at the scriptures this way, that you're going to see Jesus come alive to you in a way you have never seen before. And so when I refer to Torah, it's going to be the first five books of the Bible. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the second book of the Torah, um, we're going to go there to Exodus, and we're going to begin um, at verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help, because of their bondage, rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice upon them. I want to give us a little background on what has gone on here. Um, the Israelites, as I began to tell you earlier, were God's chosen people. It was his family. He wanted to bless them. He wanted to love them. He wanted to shower things down on them. And, the, and in order for God to do really that to us sometimes, he has to test us. It's not the test for him to see where our hearts are. The test is for us to see where our hearts are. And God wants to, to like you know too, that how much he loved you. But the Israelites, there was a famine, as most of you know. And the Israelites went down to Egypt. And God had already set up this provision for them to grow and to multiply. He sent Joseph ahead of them. And I'm, I'm going to give you some details. I want you to go in and study later. But God had set this all up. And it was only a seven-year famine. So really, they should not have been there that long. But something began to happen to the Israelites. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to show you why they stayed so long. And ladies, this is why we have got to be careful what we say and, and what we begin to worship. Because Joseph said to the people, Behold, and I'm in Genesis uh, 47, 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today brought you and your land, bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, 20%, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your household, as food for your little ones. Now, here's where they got tripped up, ladies. In verse 25, so they said, you, referring to Pharaoh, you saved our lives, not God. You saved our lives, Pharaoh. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord. My Lord, you Pharaoh, my Lord. And we will be Pharaoh's slaves. You think they had any idea what they were speaking over themselves? Ladies, there's a warning to each and every one of us in here tonight. You be careful what you're speaking over yourselves. So now we have 400 and literally 30 years later, and, and that Pharaoh really liked the Egyptians. So they got into slavery easily. You guys, we get into slavery really easily. In fact, we go in and it's kind of fun, maybe drinking. 
maybe smoking. It came kind of easy until it grabbed us and became bondage that we could not get out of. Amen? Does anybody know what I'm, I'm talking about? You're feeling that. So now it's 300 years later, and the Pharaohs have started to die out, and they've forgotten all about Joseph. They've forgotten all about how much they like these Israelites. In fact, now they hate these Israelites, and they have literally become their slaves. And the Israelites are building their kingdom. I mean, they are whipping them. They are beating them. They're killing their babies. And they're in this bondage, and they cry out to God. Well, actually, they don't cry out to God. They cry out they aren't crying to God because they are so into the culture of Israel, or of Egypt. They are so into Egypt that their ways are what they think um, are right. But they're crying out because they are heavy laden. They are miserable. And God, because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, goes to them. It's out of God's love. Not anything that they've done. They have not cried out to him. It's out of God's love. You see, God heard their groanings. And um, he saw the many private indignations that the Egyptians had um, inflicted on them, not just in the outward, but in the inward. Ladies, there's a lot of us in here tonight that you've been under a taskmaster. It hasn't been the Lord. God has heard you cry. He has seen you. Yes. Not everybody knows what's going on in the inside of you. The outside might look pretty good, but he has heard your cry. And I want you to know he is setting up a deliverance plan for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. He is getting ready to set up a man named Moses. And he's going to deliver them. We're going to talk about that another time, but so that you can understand the love that God has for you, we're going to go back to that covenant. We're going to see what it relates to you and, and God's love for you. But before we go there, I'm going to go to my knees in prayer. And you're welcome to join me on my knees or you're welcome to stay where you are. And I want you to tell you the reason I'm going to my knees is not because I think I'm more spiritual than you or not because I've, I'm, you know, some weirdo. It's because I understand in the Hebrew that the, in order, when the blessing came, they always bowed before the Father. And the Father would have the Shekinah glory come on them, and he would speak over them and give them the anointing or the blessing that they were to have. I'm going to go to my knees because I want God's anointing here tonight, and I want the blessing that he has for all of us. So join me in prayer. before you tonight on our knees in a humble position knowing that you are our father you are who we trust in or at least who we should trust in God you are so much bigger than we are Lord we come before you tonight and I ask that you hear our prayers I ask that you see our hurts and our sorrows and I ask Lord that you begin to deliver each and every one of us here this weekend I'm asking, Lord God, for an anointing on this place. I'm asking for you to come down. I'm asking for you to be here. I'm asking, Lord God, for a double proportion of an anointing that you would use my lips to speak into the lives of these women, your truth, 
your word because you say that the truth will set them free. And you say that the word heals, saves, and delivers. So Lord, help us to get that word implanted into us tonight. And I ask, Lord, that you just speak individually to every single woman here. In your name I pray. Amen. Ladies, one of the things I want you to do is take your notebook very quickly. And I want you to write a prayer to God. So we've given you these notebooks. And I'm going to tell you what the prayer is. Yeah, yeah, think about it. I want you to write, Lord, will you show me this weekend how much you love me? And I'm hoping and believing at the end of this weekend, you're going to get to share some experiences that you've had that God has shown you how much he loves you. So just write that. Lord, will you show me how much you love me this weekend? Then, when you're done with that, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 12:1. Genesis is the first book of the Torah, so it's pretty easy to find. Go with me to Genesis 12. And just for those of you who maybe don't know, those highlighters that you got, those are actually have erasers at the end of them. So if you're making a mistake, just erase it off, and it won't bleed through your pages. I mean, they are power power markers. Okay, are you guys ready, everybody, at uh, Genesis? <coughs> All right, Lord, just speak it out over us. Now the Lord said, we're in 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, I want you to begin to highlight I, okay? I want you to see where God is speaking about himself. I want you to highlight that. To the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the ones who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, I'm going to do a little setup and kind of tell you a little bit about what went on with this lot. Who is this lot? Why does it matter? You know, how did he get so chosen by God? Lot was living <coughs> in a place called Ur of Chaldea. We would call it Las Vegas. <laughs> Sin City. I mean, there was prostitution on every corner. There was idolatry like you cannot believe. And in fact, they had made the ziggurat in the middle of the town. And guess it was to worship their moon god. You're not going to believe the name of this moon god. Anybody want to guess? Sin. Honest to goodness, the name of the god is Sin. Now, Abram is, is in this culture, and it's part of the Babylonians. So he is in this culture where it is, you know, if you're not with the one you love, honey, Love the one you're with. And that's where he is at. And his father is actually the idol maker. He's got a shop on, on the strip. And they're making their money and their fame and their fortune selling these idols. So, you know, if you needed to sell your house pig, you'd probably just go get a statue of Joseph, and then you'd plant it in your front yard, and your house would sell. <laughs> and then, Galen, you'd go and probably get a horoscope and see, you know, what what it is that you need to do with your life. And then over here, if you're having some sexual issues, 
you'd probably go get their little sex god asterisk and, and you would, you would uh, put that on your nightstand and go, honey, we're in now. I mean, that's, that's what this was like. And these people believed in these stones. They believed in these lucky rabbit's feet. And, and I'm telling you, Lot did not have a bad life. His family was doing quite well. And I can prove this in scripture through Joshua 24. It said, and his father, um, Terah, worshipped idols. Okay? So this is very serious. But then God comes to Abram. And he says to him, and I want you to circle the word said. And I want you to put a mar there, A-M-A-R. It means to call, to speak, and to promise. Now I want to back up just a minute because um, I kind of forgot a very important part. And that is back there where God says, I will remember the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to know that word covenant also means promise. But the root of covenant, and you guys, I've studied covenant for like five years, and I never saw it until I began to study for this. The, and, and one of the things you need to understand in Hebrew, and, and you're going to see this through your scripture, is it's line upon line, precept upon precept. So everything in this book, you can read it, you can go back a year later, and you'll get something deeper out of it. You know what I'm saying? Amen? So it goes deeper. There's layers to these scriptures. And we've got to start digging deeper. If we want to be warriors that we're winning and we're powerful, then we've got to understand these scriptures in a new, deeper way. So that root in, in, um, of covenant is bara, B-A-R-A. You can write that in your notes. B-A-R-A, bara. And yes, covenant means to make a promise. It also means to cut. But the root of it, bara, means to create. But the essence of it is something only God can do. And that's why when he's given this covenant, he is saying, and I will do, and I will do, and I will do. Because you guys, honestly, we're here this weekend, and the reason I didn't want to commit to this if I was not going to hear from God is because I don't want to do this. I want God to do this. And you guys need to come to a place in your life where I want God to move. I want God to do it. And that's what he wants to do. Now what God is actually doing here is he is making a ketubah with Abram. Now you guys probably, that is a foreign word to you, but what it means is a covenant or a wedding pledge to him. In the Hebrew, when a man got ready to marry his wife, he and his father would make up this ketubah. And in it, then they would go to the bride and they'd say, we want to promise you this, 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 and this. Now she could accept it or reject it, but she could not change it. Now ladies, I'm not going to have a lot of time to, to go into that Hebrew covenant with you, but out on the table is Wake Up Sleeping Beauty, and this is not a sales pitch. Everything, well it is and it isn't. I don't want, I don't want any of you to leave without that book. And it, if you give to it, it's a donation. I make not one dime on it. I promise you, it all goes back into the ministry. But if you can't afford that book, we're going to give it to you. Because yes, it's a book about dating, and the first few chapters you might kind of go, eh, this is kind of for high schoolers. But you get into chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, it'll rock your world what God has promised you what God wants to do with each one of you. He has made us promises. And one of the reasons we are failing, we don't know the promises. We don't know what we can stand on. So God right here is saying to Abram, I want to make a, a covenant with you, 
a ketubah. And here is my ketubah. And in their ketubah, a man always had to promise three things. He had to promise protection. He had to promise provision. And he had to promise her pleasure. And girls, that was not going over the monument on the back of their motorcycle. <laughs> that pleasure was sexual intimacy. And you might be going, that is just weird that God would come to Abram with that. But I'm going to explain it to you here in a second. God wants to be so intimate with each one of us that we don't have to worry about what to do or when to do it. Because he's going to tell us. He's going to be that tight with each one of us. And that's what he's asking for Abram. Abram, I want to give you this covenant. And we're going to see right here about that covenant where he says, I will give you provision. He says, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I'm going to provide for you, Abram. I'm going to give you great wealth. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have this great family. I'm going to provide it for you. I'm going to give you provision. And then he says, I'm going to protect you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. How many of you want to stand with a God that you don't have to worry about what anybody else is saying about you? You don't have to worry about what your neighbor is going to do to you. You don't have to worry about who might be suing you or who might be against you. In middle school, I wish I'd have known this God. <laughs> Great. Some of you got middle schoolers and high schoolers. You tell them about this God who will bless them and curse those who curse them because they walk with him, because they're in covenant with him if they know Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. And then he says, this is how I want to have pleasure with you, Abram. He says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he's saying to him, Abram, you're going to get so stinking old, and you're going to not have any heirs. But I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to put my seed in you. And I'm going to make sure your wife's way past childbearing years as well. And the seed I put in you is going to go into her. And then that seed's going to go to the next generation, and they're going to be barren as well. I'm going to make sure that you know that this seed does not come from you. And then the next generation after that, they're going to be barren as well. Because I want you to make sure that you know that this covenant is never up to you. Because my son, my promise, my Jesus Christ is coming through that line so that every family in the earth will be blessed. Those who know him, Abraham, will have this same covenant. Amen? Amen. Will you turn with me to Genesis 3? Oh, I thought, sorry, Genesis, um, Galatians 3. You're like, we are in Genesis 2. Okay, Galatians, it's in your New Testament now. And I always think of General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, okay, Colossians. So Galatians. Okay, so we're in the New Testament. For those of you who are new, you're going to get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to get some Acts, and you're going to get some Romans, then you're going to keep going, then you're going to get Galatians. Okay, so here we are in Galatians. And we're going to go to Galatians 3, um, 29. Are you all there? I want you to underline this. I want you to circle this. I want you to believe this. And if you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abram's descendants, heirs according to this promise. You're heirs if you know Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to ask you something. Why would Abram believe this? Why would Abram believe this? He is living in Las Vegas for Pete's sake. And then his dad gets a little bit tired and moves him down to Heron. Um, um, yeah, that's where they went. No, where did they go? Um, yeah, anyway, that's where they went. And that would be like moving from Vegas to Mesquite. No difference. It's all idolatry. It's all about your fame, your fortune, your wealth. Why would Abraham believe this? I mean, he already had wealth. He already had fame, in a sense. Why would he believe this? I'm going to tell you why he believed it. Because God spoke a rhema word into his heart. I want you now um, to turn with me to Luke 1.37. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke um, 1.37. Matthew, Mark, Luke. See, I didn't mark it because I wanted to make sure I was getting there about the same time you guys were. Luke 1.37. Are you all there? More light, more glasses. Anybody need glasses? Okay, are we all at Luke thirty or yeah, Luke one thirty-seven. Okay, for nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Will be impossible. Will be impossible. With who? God. With God. I want you to understand what's going on here. Mary has just had an angel come to her. The angel has said to Mary, you're going to be with child. She says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel says to her, the Holy One will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your, relate, your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, say it again, nothing. will be impossible with God. Ladies, I want you to know that word no, nothing, that's one word in our vocabulary. But in the Greek, it is two words. It's no and then um, thing actually means word. But it means rhema or logos. A rhema word is a fresh revelation spoken just to you that God has laid on your heart. Okay, it's coming right to you. And that's what's happened. Have any of you ever been reading the scriptures and I mean it jumps off the page at you and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. I know that's for me. Or have you ever like um, had somebody speak over you? And you like go, I know, oh, excuse me, that is from the Lord, and that is in my heart, and I know that is truth. I know, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is truth. Have any of you ever experienced that? That is a rhema word from God. So she has received a rhema word for God. And then it says, will be impossible. Now, impossible means without ability. So what is being um, implicated here is this. Peggy. No freshly spoken word of God will come to you that does not have the power to perform itself. Jerry, no fresh revelation will come to you that does not have the power 
form itself. It's not up to you, honey. You all understand that? Nothing will be spoken over you that God has given you that will not have the power to perform itself. And, and Mary gets it. It gets in her soul. And she says, okay, as you speak, according to your word. You speak it according to your word. That is a rainbow word. I want you to see now a logos in the same implication. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 17, 20. Matthew 17, 20. I'm going to turn there, or, I'm sorry, Matthew 17, 21. No, I'm all right, Matthew 17, 20. <laughs> We're going to the, to the end here, the very end of the verse, and here's what it says. And nothing will be impossible to you. Now, what has happened here is Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he's down there, this man is, is um, been with the disciples, and he's, he's got this problem with his son. And the minute Jesus comes down, the man says to him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. How many of you in here got some lunatics for sons? Jesus, <laughs> but yeah, well, I got it. I don't know. I get it all the time. But no, this was serious. He said he's a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. This spirit that was on this young man is trying to kill him. Because there's people out in our culture, the spirit of death is trying to kill them. We've got kids committing suicide right and left. It's trying to kill them. There's a force out there that's trying to kill them. And so many of us are like, what do we do? What do we do? Let's get them more counseling. Now, I'm not against counseling, but let's get them the word of God. Yes. And Jesus says to him, and guys, I don't think Jesus was like going, okay, you guys, when are you going to believe me? He says this to him. He says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Do you want to be called perverted and unbelieving? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the demons came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive him out? I'll tell you why. Because of your littleness, because of your littleness of faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing Amen. will be impossible to you. Now in this sense, it is no rhema or no logos word. Nothing in this Bible is impossible to you. This is the truth of God. This is the word of God. And so many times we're like, well, it's not looking like I think it should look. It's never going to look like you think it should look. <laughs> this is the word of God. Your only job is you believe it and you obey when he calls you. You all have that? Say, I'm going to believe. Believe. And I'm going to obey. Obey. And I'm going to obey. I want you to turn with me now really quickly to Hebrews 11. I'm going to prove this point. You're going to leave here this weekend and you're going to say, nothing is impossible with God. No fresh revelation spoken unto me will be given to me that does not have the power to perform itself. And as we get to Hebrews 11.1, and there's no yawning in here. <laughs> We're going to go to Hebrews 
11 one, I want to show it to you one more time. I want you to see this word, logos, rhema, God's spoken word in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of the words. Many of your Bibles say of the things, amen? How many of your Bibles say, and faith is the assurance of the things? How many of your Bibles say that? Okay, I want you right there to just say, now faith is the assurance of the word hoped for and the conviction of the word not seen. There's a lot of this word we have not seen yet, women, but we're going to see it. I am. I know it. It's in, the, in my heart. I hope you know it. It is coming to us. I want you to turn to one more verse, James 1.21. Now, James is as right after Hebrews. It's the very next book to your right. And I want you to go there, James 1.21. I know we're kind of on a little um, marathon of the Bible here. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word. Is that what your Bible say? Yes. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Ladies, this is important. A humble heart is a heart that is like a child, knowing that it can't do it itself. Father, you can do this. It's a softened heart. It's a heart that is dependent upon God. God, you can do this. It's, it's gentle. It's, it's um, willing to receive. And when we receive the word of God like that, ladies, the word is able to heal, <clears throat> deliver, and save. The word is able to heal, deliver, and save. As we go back to Abram, I believe with all my heart, he was willing to do what it took to follow God because he had the word implanted into him. And he knew that it was so much greater than any of the idols, any of the things that he had been worshiping. He was ready to lay it down because this was truth. None of that was. You know, I come from a family where faith is not that hard for me. Some of you in here may really struggle with faith. But it is not always, it's really not that hard for me. And the reason is it's because I grew up with a grandfather that was obedient to God and listened to God. And my grandfather was um, going to college in Michigan. And as he was getting ready to graduate from business school, the Lord spoke to him. And he said, Emery, I know, what a name. Emery, I don't want you to go into the business field. I don't want you to go to Wall Street. He had this big plan for himself. He said, I want you to go into the seminary. My grandfather obeyed. He went into the seminary and became a Baptist preacher. So you can blame the yelling and the screaming on my grandfather. <laughs> but um, after 45 years of ministry, he and my grandmother decided that they were going to move to Drake, Colorado, because most of the family was in Drake, and that they were going to retire up there. So they began their last church, and they had just a cute, quaint little church in Drake, Colorado. Um, not a big congregation, but uh, many friends. And this is where they wanted to spend the rest of their life. And had planned that. My grandfather began to have dreams. And the dreams were that there would be a flood. And he needed to get out of Drake, Colorado. So he began to tell his friends. He began to tell the church. Some left, but many did not. See, the word was so implanted into my grandfather that he knew it was truth. 
He knew he had to get out. My grandfather or my grandmother was very disappointed because she didn't want to leave, but she knew my grandfather heard from God. <laughs> so they moved down Valley, um, down to where we are um, in Fowler, Colorado, or where we were. And that was in 
And then, so just picture this. Here we got Abraham, and he, he's gone to his people. Now these are, you know, Sin City. They, they're, they're doing the Vegas shows at night. They're having a really good time. And he goes to his wife and to his to his um, servants, and he says to him, hey, you guys, I heard from this unseen God. You know, are, you know what's going to happen when you go home? You go, hey, you guys, I heard from this unseen God. They're like, how do you know it's truth? How do you know it's truth? And, and so he goes to him and he says to him, I've heard from this unseen God, and this is what he told me to do. Now, this was so in Abram's heart that he made it attractive. Those people were being drawn to it. Ladies, you're going to go out. We're going to make this attractive where people believe that we heard this word. We've got this in us. We know this word is truth. We are going to make it attractive to the rest of the world, not like, yeah, 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 yeah. you should do this, you should do that. This is a drive. you got to go do this, you got to do that. No, we're going to make this so attractive that they can't wait to be a part of this. This is solely come from the Holy Spirit because this is not my notes. So I'm not lost. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so anyway, he, he gets his people and he says, now we're going to this place. And they're like, where? Like, I don't know. But I think God's going to just tell us day by day. We're going to live by faith. So he loads them up and he heads out of this prosperous place. And he starts this journey, and they get to Canaan. Now, it's 500 miles. It's actually a 1,200-mile trip where they started from Ur of Chaldeans. And now they've been inherited, so now they're going to, the, to Canaan, and it's, they've traveled 1,200 miles on their feet wow. to get to this promised land. They get to this promised land, and there is a famine. Can you imagine? Did I really hear God? Man, I, just, I messed up. There's a famine. This place is supposed to have grapes so big that it takes two people to carry them with a pole. This thing is supposed to have milk and honey and, and be like, whoa, we're the king, and everything is just going to come unto us. And I think that's what happens in the Christian life. We think that we accept God, and it's Santa Claus. We get it all right here, right now. And he gets there, and there's a huge famine. Can you imagine him saying to him, um, oops, I led you all this way. You've gone on this journey, and this is a famine. I don't think he did. He said, come on, you guys, we're going to head down to Egypt and get some food. So he takes his family, and he goes down to Egypt. You think, oh, this is going to get better until we can get back to the promised land. He gets to Egypt, and there is social injustice like you cannot believe. You see, Pharaoh likes his wife. Pharaoh says, she's drop-dead gorgeous. Abraham's like, he'll kill me because I know their customs. They're going to kill me so he can take his wife. So you know what Abraham does? doesn't trust God, I'll tell you that right now. He says, honey, I think you better go with the king. Go move into the harem. Go be one of his concubines. Well, I'm telling you, if Abram was scared to be killed by the king, if I were Sarah, he'd be dead when I got out. <laughs> but he sends them, he sends her there. But you guys, you have got to see this because this is going to blow your mind. Go back with me to Genesis 12. I want you to go to Genesis 12, 17. So Sarah is, is man, she's got to be torped. I've left everything behind. I've gone out there, and now I'm, I'm in a foreign land, and he sold me off to the king. Gosh, why did I ever trust this husband of mine? Anybody there? Okay, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. I want you to circle that word because. Because you know what that word because is in the Hebrew? That word because is dabar. 
the word of God, nothing could happen to Sarah because this covenant was up to God. And just because you got one stupid person in the family doesn't mean you're ruined. And so finally she gets out. And she's merciful because she still lets him live, much more than I probably would have done. And so they get out, and the very first thing that happens when they get out is they are forced into warfare. Lot gets into this war, the nephew gets into the war with these kings, so now he's got to get back to the promised land and he's got to fight the war of the kings. You guys, this is, this is the first ten years he's accepted the Lord. He has had to lay down the idols. He has had to, to leave his past behind. He has had famine. He has had social injustice. And now he's had warfare. I think some of you feel the same way. You have gone into a covenant called marriage. You have had to leave the idol behind yourself. You had to lay it down. You had to quit thinking about yourself. You had to quit to be, you know, thinking that everything was about you, about you, about you. And you, so you make this commitment and you go into marriage. And you get into marriage about five or ten years and there's a famine. You fall out of love. You think, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Maybe I misheard God. Maybe I wasn't supposed to marry this person. And if that's not a bad in that little land of famine, you got social injustice. You got kids with boogers. <laughs> and you know, the, that diaper thing where you're changing it all the time. I mean, that's social injustice. Amen? Amen. And then when that doesn't go well, you got the spiritual warfare with the in-laws, the outlaws, and the ex-laws, right? I mean, that's just the first 10 years of marriage, and you're like, what happened? Did I hear from God? Or did I marry the wrong person? Because I think Abram was filling that. Now, right here he's called Abram. I'm just going to start calling, I'm going to call him Abraham. It's the same guy, and I'll explain some of that later. But I want you to know that after 10 years, Abraham has got to be a little discouraged. He's left everything he's known behind, and none of it other than he's got some wealth and he's got some things going. But that promised son, that intimacy that he thought was coming to him has not come to him. And he's down, and he's tired. How many of you moms are a little down and a little tired? You're like, when is the war going to quit? When are these snotty noses going to stop dripping? And when is that husband going to start really producing the money? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're tired. Like Jax used to say, I'm tired. <laughs> He's a little Texan. I'm tired. You go to bed. And that's kind of what Abraham's doing. But after these things debar, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. I'm in Genesis 15 in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, You can hear the tired. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me, since I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring that you promised me, I don't have that. No one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word, the Debar, the Rama of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And then, you guys, God took him out under the stars. And he said to him, Abram, look at all these stars. So will your descendants be. If you go back to Galatians 
three, and I, you guys do not have to turn with me there. In fact, stay where you are. I'm going to head over to Galatians um, very quickly. <coughs> I'm going to go back over to Galatians because I want to show you this. One thing you need to know about the scriptures is you need two witnesses, okay? You need two or three witnesses. So you don't want to just take one little saying there and go, oh, this is it. So I wanted to show you what was going on that night under the stars. And it's in Galatians 3.8. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. I'm going to cut down to 14. In order that in Christ Jesus, that seed, that seed, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relationships. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it is ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Remember I told you that. They can't add to it or take away. But what I want you to know is that night, God was underneath those stars, and he was telling him, Abraham, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to come. He will be my only begotten son. And every sin that has been or would be would, will be on him on that cross. And my son is going to go through great suffering. My son is going to go through great things so that every family in this world has the chance to have this blessing to know me intimately. In fact, it says Jesus suffered on that cross so that when he died, the Spirit of God could come into you. That's power. That is power. Girls, don't you ever say you're worthless. Don't you ever say you aren't somebody. God is reviving you. He is lifting you up. And he is saying to you right now, it's halftime. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. There's more coming. Don't you give up, Abram. Don't you go. I got more testing for you, Abram. There's a little bit more. You haven't completely taken all of the test. You are going to pass, Abram. But I need you to stay with me. Abram, it's coming. You've got to believe it. And you think at that point that it might get better, but it actually began to get worse. God met with Abraham, and he said, now we're going to cut covenant. And that's why you've got to read the book. You've got to understand this covenant. Because, see, they would go between two beefs. They would cut a beef in half or a bull in half, and the blood would drop onto the ground. And the two people going into covenant would walk through it. And the blood would get on their shoes, signifying that you cannot tell whose blood is whose now. Amen? So it's like one family, one great family. I'm going to help you. You're going to help me. They're going through covenant together. But this covenant, God made so clear that he was not going to let Abraham be a part of it. In fact, he put Abraham to sleep. Do you remember? And he goes, I will walk through it myself. And he began to walk through the beef um, by himself because this covenant was up to him. And while he was walking through and making this covenant, Abraham is having this dreadful dream about his people going into slavery for 400 years. This was terrifying for him. This was terrifying for him. It was another test. Abraham, even if something isn't going to go really great, are you still going to believe me? And Abraham rose up and he still believed him. And then he comes out and you know what the next thing that happens, the next test, is Sarah cannot get pregnant. 
goodness, she's 75 years old. What did he expect? <laughs> he is, is getting old himself. So they decide they're going to have their own plan. Well, since I can't have a baby, Abraham, I want you to go into my maidservant, Hagar, and you sleep with her, and that's how we're going to get the son. So he goes in and he sleeps with Hagar. Did he pass that test? Absolutely no. But ladies, you're going to need to understand in this walk, God is not an A to Z God. God does not go linear. God is um, circular. God does things um, cyclical. So if you mess up this year, you're going to go around the bush again. And you're going to get a try again. And you're going to get a try again. And I'm telling you, it's like being in a parking garage. Jeffy gave me this analogy. You're going to go around, you're going to see the window, and you're like, I know this place. You're going to come to it again. It's going to be another test. You're going to go, hey, I'm a little higher. I see it from a different angle this time. You're going to go around again. You're like, hey, I'm starting to see the top of St. Mary's. Woo! I'm going to the top. You see, God is not like you're just going to flunk out right here. He's going to keep testing you until you begin to get it right. And Abraham has messed up, you guys. We have messed up. But our God is so crazy about it. And he's going to fulfill the word that he gave to us no matter what. It has the power to perform itself. So he says to him, hey, Abraham, that was a mess up. You test that, you bombed it, buddy. But at 99 years old, he said, listen to me, I'm giving you another test. I want you to circumcise yourself. So he takes a flint knife, ouch, and cuts off the foreskin. God is saying, I want you to take that organ that you think is really important, and I want you to know that you're going to have nothing to do with this. Lay your flesh down. It has nothing to do with you. Lay your flesh down and trust in me. And Abram passed the test. And then the last test came, and he, was, he had finally the promised son, Isaac. And when Isaac, I know this is going to blow you away, but according to Hebrew studies, Isaac was about 33 years old when Abraham got ready to sacrifice him. We have believed that he was this little boy that went up. No, he carried his own wood. He, he had been around the mountain a few times with his dad. And he went up to this mountain, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, I know that many of you think that he was probably a little bit like, oh my gosh, how could this be? I don't think so. You see, the day he got ready to sacrifice him, it says he got up early in the morning. I think his toes began to get a little excited when, the, when daylight came. He's like, this is the day I'm going to see something so incredibly powerful because it says in Hebrews that he knew God had the power to raise the dead. I believe he believed that they were going to go up there and Isaac was going to get raised from the dead. You know why? Because he had the gospel preached to him because he knew Jesus Christ because he knew that God had the power to perform what he said he would do and he knew that this was a son that through him all the seed would come through. He was trusting God. Can we trust him with our family? Yes. Can we trust him with our only precious belongings? Can he trust him for everything? And he said to his servants, we will go up and we will worship the Lord and then we will come down to you. Now I'm talking some faith. I'm talking some faith. And when that happened, Abraham had been in this relationship with God for almost 60 years before this began to happen. Amen? Maybe some of you have been here with God for a long time. There was, um, where is um, my little, you miss, says you're the oldest one in here the whole time. Yes! <laughs> Tell me your name. Debbie. Debbie. Debbie keeps telling me she's the oldest one in here. And I keep saying, in my heart, so what? That's amazing that you're the oldest one in here. Because you know what, Debbie? His, he didn't get really 
started till he was, let's see, what is 99, he was about 130 years old when he really got started for the Lord. So man, you've got a lot of years left. You're going to have to get going, girl, because he's got things planned for you. So girls, if you don't feel like you're just exploding with the Lord right now, you stay in there. You keep passing these tests. You keep going, because he has a plan for every single one of us in here. He did not put you on this planet to be like, eh. He has got this incredible plan for you. Girls, i got to tell you what happened with Abraham. When Abraham laid down his idols, he began to worship the true God. He gave up a past for a great future. He came out of famine with great wealth. After Sarah's abduction, Pharaoh was struck down. The enemy was cursed because of God's promise. The dreadful vision brought forth what God is going to get ready to do later as the greatest deliverance ever in history. Infertility became a great miracle. Family feud became laughter. Ultimate sacrifice became a fact that every family in the earth would be blessed. You see, ladies, God hears your cry. He knows your pain. He's getting you set up to deliver you and to do his work. He called you all here this weekend because his word will not come to you that does not have the power to perform itself. And that word will heal, save, and deliver. I want to end tonight um, telling you and, and, and being a cheerleader for you. Last Monday night, I uh, watched Braveheart oh. <laughs> with Jay. And, and we're sitting there watching Braveheart, and yes, it's rated R. And yes, it's gross and gruesome. But there is something in Braveheart that, that gets you. Yeah. How many of you have seen it? Oh, yeah. yeah, there's something in Braveheart. Because Mel Gibson, what is, what's his name on there? Williams? I think it yeah. is. Wallace. William Wallace. William Wallace has something inside of him that he's willing to believe for. He's willing to fight for. He's willing to go after it. And that was freedom. Amen? Yeah. He was willing to go for it. And there came a scene in that movie that took <coughs> me, it just blew me away. And it's when the, um, the Scottish, or the, Scot the, the Prince of Scotland had said to him, yes, we will go into battle with you. And they're out there in battle, and, and he is, Wallace is waving his flag, getting ready for them to come, and they turn around and, and leave, right? Yeah. Because they have betrayed him. And so and the, um, the, the, the prince has the opportunity to be face-to-face -face with Wallace, and he's looking into his eyes. And there's something that got him. I mean, Wallace could have killed him, and not, yeah, any of us in here might have. But there was such a, a deepness in Wallace's eyes. And the prince knew at that time that he was missing something. He was missing something. And he went back to his father. And he said, Father, they got something out of him. And the father said to him, no, you did it for Scotland. You got more land. You got more power. You got titles. You did it for Scotland. And he said, Father, I have nothing. He said, my men fight for me because if they don't, I will kick them out of their land and I will starve their families. 
But Wallace, his men fight for him because they have something. And the father says to them, son, all men betray and all men lose heart. And the son looked at him and he said, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe like he does. Ladies, when you go out in this world, we're going to start fighting. We're going to start fighting for this next generation. And the way we're going to fight for this next generation is we're going to learn to love God like he wants to be loved. We're going to love each other and we're going to love our neighbor because we're going to go out and we're going to fight for this next generation, for our families and for our futures because we believe in something that is so strong we believe we fight for it. Amen? We got something to fight for. We believe. We believe. This has the power to perform itself. We're just going to obey.